You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole, and I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, coming at you from the continent. It's so good to be back. It's a little bit different than we've left it previously, and Christy, I'm just uh, I'm just excited. We're back in the world of Witcher. Ugh, and I just got away from a giant centipede that crawled out of that watering hole. Oh my god, it's so nasty. Uh, that thing was disgusting, uh, and I'm not a fan yeah. of it. So nope. um, I hope that it will. Uh, it's yeah, like I'm an anglerfish so. and a centipede had a baby. It was so gross. <laughs> so, so anyway, gross. but yeah, you know, glad we're back, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm excited to talk about uh, the series that came out over the holidays. Uh, it is called The Witcher Blood Origin. And uh, before we dive into that, just a huge thank you to everybody who listens to us. We definitely appreciate it. And uh, if you would like to help us out, you can follow us wherever uh, you get your podcast by subscribing uh, to the show. Uh, and that way you'll get the episodes as soon as they drop. You can also help us out, too, by following us and interacting with us on Instagram or Twitter, on Instagram, we're the 602 Club TFM. And on Twitter, we're at the 602 Club. Uh, of course, you can also uh, do us a favor and give us one of those wonderful star ratings and reviews over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Those definitely help us reach more people and help other people find the show. You can find us over on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm with the entire network. And there's a listeners-only discussion group you can join to talk to listeners from the entire world called the Babel Conference. You just find that by typing Babel into the search field there on Facebook. Uh, And then, of course, you can also find us online at trek.fm. One other thing you can do to help out the show is support us on Patreon. Become a Patreon member and you will get exclusive content that you can only get there, like the VIP room, where Christy and I, uh, we do special episodes that you can only find there. We did our first one there uh, here at the beginning of the year, more to come. So uh, you can also make sure that every single show coming out on the network keeps coming to you uh, because there's no way we can do this. It's pretty expensive to put all this together. So go to patreon.com slash Trek FM and see how you can be part of our team. So, uh, Christy, uh, you know, all I knew about this show was that it was connected to Witcher and then it was going to be telling a prequel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had no idea how they were going to dive into that. And so what I found very interesting is that this show has bookends uh, and that um, Geralt of Rivia's bard and friend Yasker is saved from a war scene by a mysterious elf uh, who tells him the story of the beginning uh, as a way of 
uh, instructing him on things that should be remembered. So I just wanted to kind of ask you, because the show begins and ends with this. So Mm -hmm. did you feel like that was a good way to kind of tie this show into everything um, that we've had before with Witcher? Uh, Did it not work for you? I'm really interested to see what you thought. That was something I actually thought was really an asset to this, because for people that have been a fan of the series and maybe didn't know anything about the books or haven't read them, um, Yaskier was definitely a favorite character. And so bringing someone Mm -hmm. in that's already familiar to introduce the world, and also it's perfect that he's the bard, that's what they do, is tell you a story through song. I think that was Mm -hmm. a perfect way to, to introduce a prequel but then too it also makes sure. sense with it timeline wise because this is the beginning is set in the future with Yaskier then hearing about the past from her right. so they're then just sort of having a flashback and that makes the series that they did here mm-hmm. right so I like that yeah yeah no I I thought I, I mean I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think that's a bad choice. Um, I think the the thing that uh, left me just slightly wondering exactly, okay, where is Yasker in in relation to you know what we've seen before, uh, and like w- what is this war scene that he's caught in, and, and I guess maybe that'll be a part of uh, season three uh, or something. But it did seem strange because i don't remember that being part of uh season two at all and so and uh i i mean and i thought that and and i love the idea that stories have power um mm-hmm. stories have power to you know change uh the way people think um and especially it's it's not even just stories right like this is the retelling of the history of the continent and how it came to be the way that it is and the idea that understanding our history is is important is something obviously that um you know we've talked many a times about on this show and many you know movies or or tv shows that we've talked about have have talked uh, have used that mm-hmm. um and that theme has come across and so that was something that i think absolutely ends up working in the favor of, of the show because um it really reinforces a theme that i think is paramount mm-hmm. although i will say it's kind of funny it also makes me think of there are always multiple versions of someone or a place's history. So it, after seeing some inconsistencies of the history in this limited series versus the history as it was told in the other Witcher series with Henry Cavill, I was thinking, well, I mean, maybe you can kind of defend it as there are more sides than one to every story. Mm hmm. Right. Well, and I was also thinking, too, as you just mentioned, you know, how uh, things from the past uh, obviously come through a filter. Mm -hmm. Right. And so uh, and that filter is is either uh, who are the victors, who's writing the story, what the perspective is. Right. Right. And so I think what's most interesting about this is that you could also argue, and I think rightly, that 
you know, the way in which this this elf, this mysterious elf uh, who herself is a bard uh, and seems to be almost like the keeper of stories. Um, she's telling this story, but n- not really through any one person's perspective. As she's telling the story, it seems as is more like a an omniscient narrator, right? And so, therefore, it's almost like she's she's saying this is important, and especially for the time that they are in and what's coming, for people to know what actually happened. And um, I think to me that's something that's actually really cool uh, because. Having the truest understanding of what happened in the past is very important because the truth of what happened actually makes a difference as to then how we move forward. Um, And so I I thought that that was, uh, again, to me, it's obviously just a great uh, theme and and one we talk about many times, but it's I love the way it was kind of reinforced Mm -hmm. by these bookends. Um, which, you know, I think the other thing that these bookends do is it seems like that this is going to be something that actually ties pretty heavily, my guess is, into, you know, the next season of The Witcher. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because <laughs> um, especially saying, you know, wanting to know the truest version of what really happened. If you're talking about what really happened in the original Witcher stories, as written by Sapkowski in Polish. Um, and then, you know, what the also Henry Cavill series introduced, it was actually that witchers started as humans that were exposed to this elixir and mutated mm-hmm. to fight the monsters right. to protect the other humans that were weaker. So that technically would then be the actuality of what happened and this would be a um, complete rewrite of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. saying that elves well, were the is... first witchers is like, well, that's not what really right. happened. <laughs> right. No, 100%. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, we're all very cognizant, especially with, uh, you know, the rumors that had come out. And I, I think most likely it seems to be uh, quite true is that, you know, the writers here are only loosely basing uh, the story here for Witcher on the books themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even the author seems to have no desire to to watch this show. Uh, and of course, we know Henry Cavill was a huge fan of this uh, series. And w- I think one of the things that, you know, he really wanted was for the show to stay consistent with, with the books. Mm-hmm. And so what we've heard is that he and the writers don't see eye to eye on that. And that may be one of the reasons why he thought about moving on in the first place. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, because we know how dedicated he is to uh, the things that he loves, um, mm-hmm. you know, he's a fan just like us. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think, it, but regardless, you know, at least for the story here, you know, the, the, that th- theme of understanding what truly happened and, and then living in light of that is something that I think will play into is my guess Mm -hmm. Uh, because otherwise i don't really you know there wouldn't be really a reason for doing this show um and in some ways it you know we we did the animated 
uh, story as well here uh, yeah. for the Witcher series. And, you know, one of the one of the things that was cool about that was the way that that played into uh, like season two mm-hmm. of. Um, so it makes it totally makes sense why, you know, they would we would bookend it like this. So obviously we, we've mentioned a couple times here that this is the beginning for the TV version of this universe. It's set 1200 years before the events of what happens in Witcher and we learn a bunch of things. We learn about uh, the conjunction of the spheres, the monoliths. We learn about the first Witcher and its creation. Uh, you know, we uh, kind of get a better understanding of how uh, the world of elves and dwarves and all these things got merged with uh, a world that has humans on mm-hmm. it. And so how did you feel like this did in, in really building that foundation that, you know, we already have, everything else is now set upon this. I thought it was pretty good. I think that they definitely had a lot of great um, effects and um, background to try and build on what they already had um, and really then make sure that it was framed as a prequel instead of anything that we had seen as much in the future of the series. So... Um, monoliths would have been new here and maybe not as many. And obviously they're showing that mages are the only people that know how to work them. And really at this point, it's only one mage. It's not like anybody can do it. And certainly this is far before Siri is ever in the picture. So it's still kind of a mystery, which I like. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think they do a decent job of creating this this story um i i think i would say that the it's interesting enough the story itself i think one of the things that maybe left me slightly cold though is that i didn't find in the telling of this story because i guess all of the uh, just the the facts about how this stuff happens was interesting mm-hmm. But I, I didn't find interesting the actual characters we were supposed to be invested with. Mm-hmm. I think that's to me where, you know, I love good world building and how things come to be. You know, I've read so much of the the behind the scenes stuff there for Tolkien that, you know, uh, have been released even posthumously now uh, that his son had worked on and, and uh, things are still continuing to come out. Uh because I just the I love world building, mm-hmm. um, but you know when it comes to a show, world building isn't enough. You really need to be you know locked in, and I think the 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 real foundation has to be the characters through whose eyes you're seeing this world building happen. Yes, and to me, I, I don't I felt really let down by that in this show. Did you feel like that or were were there, I mean, did you connect more with the characters? Um, there was one in particular that I connected with more than any of the others. Um, and it's kind of funny because it's not the one that you would expect. It was the dwarf, uh, Meldoff, the dwarf on a quest for revenge who wields a warhammer named after her late wife, Gwen. Um, I liked her character the best because I felt that she had the strongest backstory and had the most 
heart, that it was like she had purpose that was crystal clear and also really was kind of quirky and funny with her personality, her gruffness, and then her ability to just be so perfectly mm-hmm. polite and then go in and murder people ruthlessly with this hammer and be like, what's that, Gwen? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like talking to her hammer. Um, and then the joke about the mushrooms and stuff. So yeah, it, she was my favorite character of the whole series, which is kind of sad in a sense because it's like she's not one of the lead characters really i mean yes she's one of the seven but it's really supposed to focus more on um ale Mm -hmm. fjall and merwin yeah no i agree with you i I mean uh, and not that i i honestly don't like anybody in this show so i think that's the thing that really bothered me is that i just didn't connect with any of these characters Mm -hmm. um and it it really was because i didn't I don't feel like we were really given a reason to, uh, in all honesty. I, I just did not find any of their stories interesting. And I think, in, th- when you're, again, when you're telling this type of story, this kind of origin story, um, the, the characters really need to pop off the screen mm-hmm. um, so that you make interesting the world building. And, you know, all of these characters where I found completely blasé and boring um, which was disappointing to me, and I just didn't. I wasn't. I, I, well, I could kind of go to the cast to see if anybody stands out to you, but I was even disappointed. Like Michelle Yeoh has literally barely anything to do in this show. She's amazing. I love Michelle Yeoh. Mm-hmm. John and I just talked about Shang Chi uh, the other day on Assembling Avengers, and that episode's out now. But we were mentioning how like she's in the thing and you want her to be in it more just because she's so awesome. Cause she, you know, um, she's Michelle. Yo yeah. here. It's just like her character was again, there was just really not, I just didn't find anything interesting even about her as a character. And then all of the other actors, I I didn't feel like the quality was there that I expect from the Witcher series. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think everybody there around Henry Cavill is phenomenal. And then you've got Henry as the main lead. Here, it just felt like, um, it felt kind of more like a bad BBC production than mm-hmm. an actual wool show that is supposed to be of the quality that Witcher was and is. Yeah, I was wondering at first if it was that they just should have gotten more well-known actors and actresses, um, if it was just too many new people, and then also a new series that you've got to have someone that people go for to watch it. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously, like you said, like Michelle Yeoh, yeah, um, but it also was the writing of the character. I mean, she's an amazing yeah, actress and wasn't put in a good character to use. So right. um, I think she ends up kind of playing that typical role of the, um, I don't I'm going to say like the Yoda of the story. <laughs> she's teaching all the children a, yeah. how to, yep. you know, yep. do what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so you're just kind of like, wow, that's really one dimensional. And, not much backstory on any of them. Like maybe, maybe here's the thing. They focus mm-hmm. too much on world building and not enough on character building. Yes. Yes. Uh, I could not agree with you more. I, I think when you said the fact that it is one dimensional, uh, 
I mean, I 100% agree with you. Um, I, I think that every single character here is very one dimensional. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something that, uh, I don't think, um, uh, works very well. Um, and that's disappointing because you really do, again, every single thing about the Witcher series and the characters they create and all of that, you know, one of the things that we talked about extensively when we've talked about those first two seasons was the way in which they are, they were creating interesting characters and we were also enjoying the people playing them as well. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's, it's just so disappointing that they can't find a way to, you know, make this interesting. Um, and maybe also it's a fault in the writer, um, Lauren Schmidt Hisrick. In the first two series of The Witcher, they had her as the writer, but they still had Sapkowski as a creative consultant to kind of mm-hmm. oversee and just make sure that things were still being true to the books or at least the essence of the books here. He wasn't involved at all. So I'm just wondering if she took right. off with it, thought she could do it without him. And then really, I mean, it's like, you're still trying to play in his world though. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it could, it could absolutely be, um, you know, so I, I think, you know, all of that's disappointing. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think the thing that I find um, frustrating about this as well is that there's a, there's a really good and interesting theme here with the whole idea of the lust for power. Uh, because our chief druid, Baylor, who's the mage who learns how to open these gates that lead to other worlds, like his whole goal is to, 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 use this for his own power mm-hmm. in a really kind of awful, terrible way, right? Like, and he's willing to do whatever it takes uh, to get this this power. Um, he's willing to use and abuse anyone or anything. And I I found the, uh, the whole idea of that this lust for power is something that will ultimately destroy you and everything you love really fascinating Mm -hmm. and a a great theme to be playing with, you know? And I I think we know when I, I thought of the idea of how this, you know, connects with the idea of the Witcher itself, you know, where we're talking about power a lot. Um, this is something I thought was great. Um, you know, and the misuse of power. And so, uh, it was, it was frustrating that, you know, then that this theme doesn't come across in in the way that I truly want it to because I'm not as connected to the characters as I want to be because of the writing and the acting. And that's where it, it you know, 100% where you came down is the there's some good stuff here. And it's hampered by writing that just kind of feels one dimensional. Mm -hmm. And I think that you're hitting on something huge here as well with Balor in that both he and Merwin are supposed to play two different kind of villains, basically. And 
they really just come out of nowhere and you don't really understand their motivations before then we're supposed to be invested in being afraid of them and having fear for the seven that have to come up against them, but they never really feel that threatening. I mean, like, why does Balor mm-hmm. care? Yeah. <laughs> he just kind of decides yeah. he wants to be the end all mm-hmm. be all of the kingdom. And then so does mm-hmm. Merwin. Right. Right. Well, and, and, and I think this, this series does very clunkily as well. And, you know, they try to make this about his desire for power because of the way he perceives other people perceive him, mm-hmm. which is he's a lowborn. Nobody looks at him as being important or good or, you know, and, and so there's this kind of like class warfare thing that this show tries to insert in here. And yet again, the writing is so clunkily done that it really doesn't handle it very well. And, you know, you're trying to add some dimension to this character And yet, with the betrayal and the writing and everything involved there, it just feels like, eh. Yeah. And and that's that. And I think the thing that I'm most frustrated, I guess, coming away from the show is, is that I feel like the show has good bones, but they're, you know, bones without flesh is still just a skeleton. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and sort of, I guess, piggybacking off of that, it felt like to me that they also, he they showed that he, Balor wants all this power, but never his upbringing and how that factored in is, it's never like shown in the scenes or anything. And then too, what he wants to do with all the power once he gets it. It's kept mm-hmm. too simple, and so then you're really not feeling that he's that much of a threat either because it's like, okay, he just wants to have power. That's it. Like, he's not going to destroy the world and merge all the worlds together and take over every world or something. You know, like, tell me the game plan at least so that I'm invested that there's something to be afraid of. Sure. And so I felt like there yep. were some big things like that that were just completely left out that then make you not care. Yeah, I, I think that's an excellent point, all honestly. Maybe I mean, clunkily uh, put, and, but... <laughs> no, no, I, I do, th- but I think you're 100% right, and that is a, a, a very frustrating thing to have this show not be able to follow through on the ideas which are good. Mm-hmm. Because another, you mentioned Princess Merwin, and and she's a she's another one of our, and and in many ways she's a a more misguided villain. You know, she is obsessed with history, and she actually longs to create an unstoppable elven civilization, not just for her, but for all elf kind. Right? Like mm-hmm. she longs to do this, and 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 so it's not just about her, like Balor, where it's all about him, and he wants the power, and he'll sacrifice anything to get it. You know, she's wanting to do this for for her entire race, and yet she's willing to then use the monoliths to try and conquer other worlds, and she wants to bring civilization to them by the sword, 
Um, she wants to be a colonizer, and she also, of course, uh, she's doing this for resources. Um, so there's no altruism here. Uh, it's it 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 seems like altruism, right? But when you get down to it, it's not. And mm-hmm. I think that's the thing that's um, ultimately disappointing about her as well is that she's also not interesting at all. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you a hundred percent on her. I think that again, they really don't give you a background as to why she got to this point in her beliefs. Um, Mm-hmm. what her upbringing was like or anything to get to this point and then suddenly that she is destroying everyone's lives and she'll kill people to get to what she thinks is right and then still thinks that she's an altruistic leader um it's sad um but you know it also just doesn't have enough meat to it to make you feel that she's a threat or that she's even interesting it just seems like she's just a brat who, you know. That's a good point. Yeah. Really doesn't get it. That's really well put. <laughs> she's just a brat. Yeah. So, you know, I, I guess I will say at least the one shining thing light about her was when uh, the lark gets to kill her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a that good was scene. Nice. Yeah, it was a good thing. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I... I I think you you really just put that so well, though, is that the thing that I struggle with the most about this show, and especially with these two villains, is that there is potential, mm-hmm. and I can see it there, but the potential is wasted because it almost seems as if there wasn't somebody to actually make that potential a reality. Um, and that's that's a really frustrating place to be here with the show. And so I think another thing, too, is that unlike The Witcher, I also found myself kind of frustrated because there are times when I thought, okay, this show looks beautiful here in this scene, but then there were many times where I felt like I was pulled out because the actual like compositing work and VFX work was very inconsistent on from scene to scene. Mm. And so that there were there are times when, you know, the and this is this is one of the things I think that's so great about the show in general. Witcher included is where you know they film on location for so much of it and and they use those locations to their benefit here I think they do that as well um but then there are many times when I I'm just I'm watching a scene and the work of bringing everything together and especially with then VFX just isn't as polished as you need it to be to not kind of be pulled out of that scene. Mm -hmm. And that I found frustrating too. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I think that for the most part, the world looked really beautiful, but that 
the two things I really recall that looked bad and did take me out of the experience was the main monster initially, the you know flying dragon looking mm-hmm. thing yes. that vaporizes people. Point. Yes. Looked did not look good. Yeah, looked low budget. That's when CGI was not doing yeah. good. And the fire <laughs> when Balor is casting fire from his hands—that was such fake fire. Come on. <laughs> yes. There's that scene when they're like uh, talking uh, in and in, in the dwarf's cave, you know, and they're all hanging out in that that episode, mm-hmm. and she's smoking with one of the guys. And he's the one that has the pipe at this moment. And he's smoking. And you can tell that it's not real smoke. Oh, my God. This pipe. It's CGI smoke. And I'm like, are you serious? You could have real smoke, guys. It's easy. (laughs) Yeah, I was just that is got to be, I would say, one of the laziest things that I've ever seen. Wow. And it didn't look good. Like, you know, um. And and that was just very frustrating that they they went that way with um, a lot of the, the choices that they made with the VFX. It was just very frustrating. And so mm-hmm. I, I didn't understand um, in a lot of places, you know, why they made some of the choices that they did. I had uh, so something else, Christy, that uh, I was thinking as I was watching uh, this season, and there are only four episodes to this show, and each of the episodes varies in length. Um, so many times, that's a good thing in the sense that, you you know, they're not mandating, okay, we got to have this many episodes per, you know, uh, season, and it ha- they each have to be a certain length. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of times, you know, Netflix does a pretty good job of that, but... Did you feel like watching this that this could have been a whole episode shorter? Yes. I think there's definitely times where they drag out some scenes that even when there's no dialogue, that it just feels self-indulgent, I guess, of showing off the world building. Or just some scenes, like we said, of like bad effects or whatever, where they could have done a lot of cuts and then it would have been three slightly longer episodes um and still work i yeah i think that's a really good point and i i think the third episode is the one where i felt this the most because you know they spend half the episode basically kind of chilling out you know with the dwarf in her lair Mm -hmm. and it's it's supposed to be this place where you're connecting with the characters but none of it's very interesting. Yeah. And it, uh, yeah. And in all honesty, it felt like you could have taken the other half of that episode and the little bit that actually happens there, put that all in episodes uh, two and four and completely cut out three. Mm -hmm. So you could have had a three episode, you know, just a a trilogy of episodes. And actually that's a good point too. If I can add um, about, putting in comic relief where you don't necessarily need it and then you're cheated out of a good moment. I thought it was definitely a bad point where the dwarf and the elf are bonding and talking about their histories, you know, with people that they loved. 
And when it's the elves turn to talk about why it means so much to him to be accepted by the mage that he's in love with, she falls asleep. It was like, but he was actually really onto something. It was a good deep character moment and you ruined it by trying to go for the joke. Did you think that? Yeah, no, I think it's a great, uh, that's a great point. It's definitely one of those places where I think it's very frustrating that, you know, um, you are trying to make me interested in a character and their story and what makes them tick. And then as you do that, you undercut it with a joke, which, you know, uh, I think is something to which, you know, the Thor movies are terrible at doing. Yeah. Uh, they do it all the time. Um, they, they constantly undercut themselves and what's happening as being important with a joke. And, you know, humor is, is, is really key to a series. Um, but unfortunately if you do humor wrong, it can also destroy whatever it is you're trying to do as well. And I think that's absolutely, that's such a great call. Um, uh, you know, as we've been talking through this, you know, this is obviously meant to build into the world of The Witcher. We've had two seasons of that. We had the animated feature as well. And those three are things that we both really enjoyed and thought were very well done. And I, I guess I do have to ask you the question is, you know, do you feel like this fits then well within that universe that we've created? Did they do a good job of, uh, does this feel like it fits with those three things? For me, it's a no. Um, because I have to call back to when we covered Nightmare of the Wolf, the anime series, that I was really surprised at how well it did tie in with the series previously and gave additional things about the history of witchers and about Geralt's teacher and things like that, that we would need later mm-hmm. that right. would play into season two. Um, this feels like a bad copy and that mm-hmm. I'm watch- watching like, you know, B television, um, B actors, doing a bad story and it sucks because seasoned one and two of the Witcher were so great. Now this kind of makes me concerned that this is the new direction they're going and we're not going to have Henry Cavill anymore that I don't know if I'm going to like season three or if they do more than that. How do you feel? Yeah, I mean, I think, in all honesty, you basically nailed exactly how I feel. Hmm. Um, it's it's something to which you know I I I I did not expect that to be the case. You know, I I the series has kind of built itself up into I think a really solid uh, show, and and it and it been a thing that it, I think it really world built well. Um, and then, you know, this, I watch this and I'm thinking this feels like, and, and I think you said it so well, like you call it the B roll, uh, and you know, it does kind of feel like the B side of an album and where, you know, so many times the B side was, uh, is a song. It, it was never going to probably be a big hit. 
Um, for all you people who are into vinyl now, um, you know, this used to be something you'd get on an old 78. You know, it was the B-side. And, eh, you know, we'll put it on there just because we need something to go on the other side of the record. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's, this kind of almost feels like that. And and I don't, it's sad to, to, to think that there was anything here in the Witcher, you know, series. Because I think this the story is very cool and, and one that is worth knowing, especially as, you know, somebody who enjoys this universe. Um, and yet, like, you, you, the way it's done, I think, undercuts the importance that you're you're saying it's supposed to have mm-hmm. and that's not good like that you know you you definitely don't want that to be the case you know especially since the whole point of this is that at the very beginning the elf is telling yasker that this story is an important story and this story needs to be heard and known and understood uh for what's coming and so now we're telling this story. It's not very interesting or, or well done. And it's just, it, yeah, it's kind of, it's just kind of frustrating. So, and that's the foundation for what's to come, Matt. <laughs> I, that you, right? Yes. Thank you. Like, okay. So really? Um, yeah. So, which I guess, you know, it leads me to our, our last question, um, which is, uh, what would you rate this series? I really thought about it. And although there were some good bones to use your expression, um, I think that it still ends up leaving me wanting more and wanting to go back to the other episodes of the other series that I like so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really kind of wish that Nightmare of the Wolf was the prequel. And that we just left it there. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> that was actually really good. So, yeah, I have to give it like a two out of five. And I feel like that's kind of being generous. Um, Gwen hammers. <laughs> because that was kind of the only thing I could think of. But, um, you know, there were some moments that were not bad. But overall, I really wish that there was more development especially of character backgrounds um and i wish that they hadn't changed some of the big storytelling things about the witcher that would have been true to the books and tried to make it like this is now where we're going to take the story it just feels like we've abandoned the whole reason of doing a witcher series in the first place and this is something different it's also mm-hmm. fantasy, but otherwise it's a new story. So, yeah, I just, I yeah. wanted more. Yeah, I think, I think that, you know, in all honesty, uh, I, you're 100% on target. I don't think you, everything you said, uh, I heartily agree with. And, it, you know, I, I would say for myself, I also find myself very frustrated to be in that place where, um, you know, this is this is a series that I've really enjoyed. I thought has been really well done. Uh, obviously, a big part of that is, you know, I, I've loved Henry Cavill in the series. But, uh, you know, we watched uh, the animated feature and he had nothing to do with that. And mm-hmm. it, we thought that that was really well done. Um, and we really liked it. We thought that um, 
it really added to the world building. It, it, it did its job perfectly in that sense. And, and it was everything that you kind of wanted from something more Witcher. Uh, and I think, you know, this just, um, it really, it, I think the thing is, is that it doesn't really do any of those things. Um, and it, it kind of feels like, um, a place where you're almost, I, I guess I, I think I'm, I'm at the place where I don't understand the why of doing this because it doesn't really seem to fit the rest of the, it, it doesn't really seem to fit the rest of what Witcher has been about. And, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, uh, it's disappointing, but I, I'm going to be right there with you. I'm going to give this two out of five as well. Um, and I, I think, in all honesty, um, I'm being pretty generous at that point. I, I could probably actually give this a, a one and a half, um, and I think you know feel completely legitimate in that. But I'll give it a, a, a two as well out of five. So, mm-hmm. but Christy, uh, I am excited because we always uh, get to this point of the show where we give our recommendations to everybody, and so maybe uh, we've got some great recommendations for everybody this week that you know, aren't the Witcher blood origin. <laughs> yeah. Um, so mine um, piggybacks off of the um, the death angle of things, at least, I guess. Uh, it's kind of a joke version of that. But I really want to recommend, again, um, this whole brand that I started following called Emo's Not Dead. Um, and they've even started abbreviating it E-N-D, like end. Ha ha ha. Um but it was started during the pandemic by a guy named Matt Cutshaw, who just really missed emo music and started making funny videos joking about like went emo again, might delete um, and having his wife be really annoyed with him. And then more and more people started following it and doing their own versions. And then former emo bands started reaching out to him to collaborate on it. Huh. He recently just put together uh, an Emo's Not Dead cruise with Sixth Man. They're going to do it again this year. Um, And he's formed his own emo band now called Your Broken Hero. So interesting. just goes to show if you believe, Matt, you can make something happen. So I recommend Uh, checking out Emo's Not Dead. Um, They also have a coffee subscription and it's really good. I tried the Blackheart blend, just saying. Nice. That's awesome. Well, uh, I've got a, a fun recommendation for everybody right now. Uh, you know, I don't I don't know if it, everybody is aware of, but I'm sure that they are probably if they are listening to this episode. But right now uh, we're we're in the middle of the Bad Batch season two. And honestly, uh, I'm loving it. And mm-hmm. so right now I just I just wanted to recommend that everybody be checking that out there over on Disney Plus. Of course, we'll be covering it here on the show once it's over. So, I mean, that's another great reason to want to do that. You're not going to want to miss our conversation once we uh talk about it, but it's just been I just it's such a great show. Um I I really do love the work that they do and and this season has been a lot of fun so far. 
Uh, but it's also a season that is really transitioning so well and, and really diving into some really cool things for the saga of Star Wars and, you know, that transition from the Clone Wars uh, to the role of the Empire. And it's kind of terrifying. It's deliciously good. And so I hope that everybody will check out uh, Bad Batch Season 2, which is now uh, airing as we speak on Disney Plus. But Christy, uh, if people did want to catch up with you and, of course, you know, see what else you've got going on these days, where would they find you? So you can check me out on Letterboxd and then also on Instagram and Twitter, all at Bespin Bell. And of course, in uh, the Babel Conference on Facebook. And then when I'm not here, check me out on Sabres and Spells on my friend's network called Skywalking Through Neverland. I do with my friends Amanda and Teresa. But what about you? Well, of course, you can find me all over the place under the moniker Matt Rushing 2 Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Vero. Uh, you can also, of course, find me here on the network doing a bunch of different shows. One is called uh, Literary Treks, about the books and the comics of Star Trek, The Orb, about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, you can also find me doing Warp 5, about Star Trek Enterprise, Saddle Up, about Strange New Worlds, and we've got The Artificial Tango, which, as we're recording this, Christy, this is the first week uh, that Star Trek Picard Season 3 uh comes out and so that means that the artificial tango is going to be back next week so you're going to be wanting to catch up with that Uh, and if you really want to get ready one of the best ways you can do that is by enjoying the episode that chris and i just put out as we talked about seasons one and two uh, getting us ready uh, for what's coming up so it's it's going to be a lot of fun i know everybody can't wait so i hope everybody will check it out uh and of course over on the nerd party network you'll find me doing few other shows one is called owl post i did that with dre kaufman and we talked about every single chapter of the harry potter series one chapter at a time uh you can also find me uh doing aggressive negotiations with the great john mills where we talk about star wars each and every week but thank you so much for joining us and y'all come back now you hear 